Welcome to Canterbury Gardens again if you're visiting. We have the great privilege to have a guest speaker with us. This is Murray. Murray, come closer, mate. I'm not, I don't smell today, I don't think. Um, I've just recently gotten to know Murray. I have the privilege to be on the Gospel Coalition Committee with Murray and, um, and getting to know him. And I've been reading a book of his and I've been really loving it and enjoying it. And so we're really thankful that he could come uh, and serve us this morning. So I wanted to do, this is where before someone speaks, they have a bit of a get to know you kind of moment and this is it. So if it was youth group, he'll do some fun games, but because we're all manly adults, we're not going to do that. Um, yeah, there you go. So you can relax. Uh, Murray, tell us a little bit about yourself, family, background, where you're from. Sure. You've got a bit of a twang in your accent, I've noticed. I don't have an accent. Okay. Um, I notice a lot of people here in Australia have accents. Yeah. But yeah. So, grew up in New Zealand, born, born there, grew up there, uh, met my wife there, um, Wendy, and we got married just over 30 years ago. Okay. Uh, Lord blessed us with five kids, and we brought our five children to Australia in 2001. So, we got three kids who are married, uh, one and a half kids living at home, and one, uh, one granddaughter. Okay. And she is, needless to say... Beautiful. I'm sure. Yeah. Awesome. Tell, tell us a little bit about how you came to know Jesus. Um, how did you come across? Yeah, I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian family. My mum and dad very, very committed to the Lord and involved in Christian ministry stuff. Yeah. So I really heard about Jesus from when I was knee-high to a grasshopper. Um, I think always kind of thought of myself as a Christian, identified as a Christian, but looking back, realised that I've... I very often was not living as a Christian as a kid. And it was really through my teenage years, the Lord put a number of experiences, speakers, uh, people in my life that just really challenged me with the gospel and what it meant to be serious about Jesus. So through my teenage years, that was where I, I think I grew and made faith in Jesus Christ something personal and became a, um, a follower of Jesus. Through those years, I knew that I could live no other way than being a follower of Jesus. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you currently serve somewhere on staff um, mm -hmm. at a place called the Reform Theological College. Yep. Tell us a little bit about the Bible College. Where's it placed? Um, yeah, so R RTC is a uh, theological college that's been in Geelong for 60 years. But this year is a big year for us because we're, we're moving all our teaching from Geelong to Melbourne CBD. Mm -hmm. And we've, we've just acquired a uh, facility in Queen Street right in the heart of the city. And we're excited about that because it just makes our teaching, our training, much more accessible to a whole lot of people in Melbourne, um, and maybe some of you guys. We, we just love uh, seeing people grow in their knowledge and understanding God's word, put down deep theological roots. We train preachers and pastors. We also train people for mission work or just other areas of Christian life and service. Uh, usually a small college, so classes are, are highly interactive, um, real community sense, and uh, yeah, I have the privilege of, of leading that ministry and really, really love it. Great. You, there's a little word in front of that college name called Reformed. Reformed. Uh, for those of us, it brings up a few things, maybe for some of us. Tell us a little bit, maybe briefly, what Reformed is in summary. Yeah, Reformed in summary, that's, a, <laughs> that's tricky. Uh, to reform something is to take it back to what it's meant to be. And exactly 500 years ago, 1517, there was a massive reform of the Church of Jesus Christ. 
Um, and, and the guys doing that have become known as reformers. That period is called the Reformation. And basically what they did was that they took a church that was increasingly corrupt and had dodgy teaching and odd worship stuff going on. They took it back to the Bible. And they emphasized five biggies. They said, look, the, the gospel's all about grace, grace alone. And... Uh, so, so our whole Christian life is dependent on God's grace and God's love and God's free mercy for us. And we access that through faith alone. It's not about our works, it's about faith alone. And it's faith alone and Christ alone. Um, it's, it's all about Jesus, it's not about us. And we learn all that stuff in Scripture alone. Um, the, the Bible is the one place that we have to go to know God and to know the gospel. And those four things are to the glory of God alone. Um, it's got to be all about his glory. And really when they, when they started to anchor everything in those alones, that brought massive change to the church. And Reformed theology just continued to say, if we go back to those five things again and again and again, it's going to change us, it's going to change the church, it's going to give us a right way of looking at the gospel and at the Bible. So Reformed theology is not kind of something too exotic or weird, it's just being really serious about the Bible and about... Um, changing in line with scripture yeah. now we talked about this on the phone on friday i said just jokingly do you, do you have to be a, a reformed person to be a christian well of course of course yeah, okay yeah. good <laughs> <laughs> you have to um you have to believe in jesus to be a christian okay yeah and once you believe in jesus you're going to want to think about a whole lot of things and i think reformed theology is a great way to think about a whole lot of stuff in the bible but hey trusting in jesus is all it needs mm. yeah Right, friends, um, I'm going to pray for Murray and pray for us as well as we hear from God's word. Mm-hmm. Father, I want to thank you for this brother in Christ. I thank you for the gift that you've given him to teach and preach your word. I pray that through your spirit you'll empower him now. Mm-hmm. And Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts uh, to listen and hear what you're saying to us uh, as a church for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Shabu, and uh, thank you for having me here. It's just such a uh, privilege to be with you. So lovely to meet another church community and uh, to have this privilege of opening God's Word together. And I want to open to a passage in the book of Isaiah. If you've got a Bible there, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah is not too hard to find. It's a fairly big book. Go to Psalms and turn right, and it's just down the road, uh, two or three books. Isaiah 52, beginning at verse 3. I want to read from verse 3 to verse 10, and then we're going to particularly focus on verse 7. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt, sojourned there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now, therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that as I who speak, here I am, 
How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who proclaims good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Amen. So uh, let's look at these verses, especially at verse 7. Verse 7 uses the word beautiful, and I, I, I just wonder when you use the word beautiful. When do you say, that is just beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Maybe you say it of a sunset. Maybe of a landscape. Uh, my wife, Wendy, and I were, were back in New Zealand a couple of weeks ago to visit our parents. And we had some time in the, in the mountains down the South Island. And I must say, you just sort of look in any direction, and we kept saying, oh, that's so beautiful. Uh, we, were, we were walking around at the edge of a lake with mountains behind, and we commented to each other, this is just a total beauty overdose. Like, there was beauty everywhere. Or maybe, maybe you don't say it for a landscape or for, for New Zealand, uh, Maybe you say it of sport. You watch Federer and say, that, that is beautiful. He makes, he makes tennis look beautiful. Uh, soccer is called the beautiful game. Maybe, maybe you look at people and sometimes you see someone, you say, that, that is beautiful. Try looking down at your feet for a moment. Do you look down there and say, they are absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Try looking at the feet of the person next to you. You say, beautiful. You know, that, that is what Isaiah 57 says. The, Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. We're actually traveling back about 2,700 years from today. And Isaiah there talks about beautiful feet. Uh, just just a few weeks ago, I had my first ever trip to a podiatrist. And, and I talked to this young, young lady who was a podiatrist and, and basically said to her, I'm absolutely amazed at your career choice. I, <laughs> I simply cannot comprehend someone who wants to spend their life looking at people's disease to form dysfunctional feet. But nonetheless, there are people who find feet beautiful. There are people who are prepared to invest in the beauty of other people's feet. But when Isaiah talks here about beautiful feet, he's not talking about feet that have had a pedicure and that are massaged and have you know, beautiful toenails and nice soft soles. He's talking about the beautiful feet of someone who brings good news. It's a figure of speech, isn't it? If someone brings good news, they say, man, what beautiful feet they've got to bring a message like that. And in Isaiah's time, there was, 
no daily newspaper, no evening news, no internet. If you wanted to hear news, if Israel wanted to hear news of how their armies were doing in battle, then they would wait for a herald. They would wait for a messenger. And a messenger would come and they might eventually see him on the hills surrounding Jerusalem. And they'd be keen and eager for him to arrive and they'd be wanting to hear, what is the news from the battlefront? Is it good or bad? Are there many casualties? Is it victory or defeat? And the messenger comes. And imagine the joy. Imagine the excitement if he brings good news. You know, it, it might almost be that they'd go, yes, hug him, thank you. Well, you know, he didn't win the battle, but he brought good news of the battle. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's a bit like if you go to the doctor, you've been anxiously waiting for test results, and uh, the doctor sits you down, and he pulls out this bit of paper, and he says, well, it's all clear. There's nothing to worry about. You just about feel like getting up and kissing the guy. Like, yes, thank you. He didn't make you well, but he brought good news. Isaiah says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And actually what Isaiah says here about this, and we want to dig into it a little bit this morning, what he says here about the beautiful feet of those who bring good news teaches us about what makes for a beautiful ministry in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if you ever use the word beautiful for your church. I wonder if you can say to other people, oh, we go to a beautiful church. I wonder if you use the word beautiful to describe ministries in church. We just, we just have a really beautiful youth ministry. We have beautiful community ministries. We have a really beautiful preacher. Mm. <laughs> what would make you say that? <laughs> well, <laughs> now what would, what would make you say you have a beautiful church, you have a beautiful ministry, that was a beautiful sermon? I think what Isaiah says here opens up two things. First, first of all, a beautiful ministry is one that shows people just how good the good news of Jesus really is. Let me say that again. A beautiful ministry is one that shows people just how good the good news of Jesus really is. Back in Isaiah's day, the good news that was to be proclaimed was the good news that God was going to bring Israel back from exile. If you know a bit of your Old Testament history, God's people had sinned and rebelled against God and he had cast them out of the land that he'd promised to them and they'd been taken into captivity uh, in Babylon and they'd been there for 70 years. But now... There's a proclamation, there's a prophecy from this prophet of God to say, God is going to bring you back to your own country. You're going to come back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's going to be restored. You're going to be returned. And that is 
very, very good news for the Israelites. It would be a time of singing and praise and rejoicing and thanksgiving and relief. But when it actually happened, it was incomplete. That they came back to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem was not fully restored to what it had been. They were healed, but not completely. And so there was left hanging this question, when, when will full restoration come? When will there be really ultimate, final good news for God's people? Well, the next chapter in Isaiah is a very famous chapter in the Bible, Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 is a prophecy of the coming of Jesus. And it prophesies that Jesus will come and suffer in the place of his people. He'll take their punishment. He'll bear their iniquity. And by his wounds, they will be healed. Only with the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, would Israel have ultimately good news. Only then would they be fully restored. Only then would this prophecy of Isaiah be complete. Because look at the words that it uses in Isaiah 52 verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the one who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. Ultimately, Good news and peace and happiness and salvation would come only when Jesus Christ would come and take their sin on himself and take their punishment for them, bear their iniquities and free them completely from God's judgment. The real good news is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a ministry that's beautiful is a ministry that focuses richly and fully on that, on who Jesus is and what he has done for his people. Interestingly, the, uh, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul quotes this very verse in Romans chapter 10. Let me just read to you a few verses from Romans 10 where Paul is, is speaking about preachers. He says this, How can people call on him whom they've not believed? How can people call on Jesus if they haven't believed him? And how can they believe in him of whom they've never heard? And can, how can they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And he quotes there, Isaiah 52, verse 7. So what, what he's saying is people have to hear the good news. How do they hear the good news? By proclaiming it, by preaching it, by declaring it. And gospel preachers... 
They are the ones who have beautiful feet. A beautiful ministry is one that helps people see just how good the good news of Jesus is. Constantly points people back to Jesus Christ and what he has done for them. It points people again and again to his love and to his grace. It highlights his actions on our behalf, his victories in our place, his sufficiency for all that we need. And I think sometimes church ministries don't camp there enough. I don't know your church, and and this may not be true of your situation, but I think it's often true we don't camp enough on who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Sometimes in Christian ministry, we, we tend to camp out on what's wrong with us. And, and we deal a lot with human sinfulness and brokenness and failing and trouble. And, and you have to address that. The gospel addresses that. We have to talk about that. But one of the Puritans once said that for every look you take at yourself, you need to take 10 looks at Christ. Yes, we have to look at our sin and our weaknesses and our failures, but 10 times as much at who Jesus is and what he has done. Sometimes the the focus in Christian ministry can be very much on what we have to do. They're what I call more sermons. You've got to give more, love more, Serve more, pray more, read the Bible more, go to church more, witness more. The, the bottom line of, of gospel ministry becomes, you've got to do more of this. And, and in a way, how can you argue with that? I, I look at my life and, well, I don't need to go to church more because just do way too much of that. But I do need to read the Bible more. I do need to pray more. I do need to love more. I do need to witness more. So those sermons can be very convicting. But if we're not careful, they can be very sub-gospel. Because the gospel's not fundamentally about what we do. The gospel is not fundamentally about us doing more of anything. The gospel is about the fact that Jesus Christ came to do what we could not do. He came to rescue us. He came to bear our iniquities, to take our punishment. By his wounds we are healed. Sometimes the focus of a ministry can be on the people up front more than on Jesus Christ. We live in a celebrity culture, and there's a celebrity culture that's developed within the evangelical church scene. And we love our our great evangelical leaders and heroes and amazing preachers, and very easily... uh, in, in that ministry context, we can want to be upfront and be cool and be humorous and, and be popular, and the focus becomes on the person in ministry rather than that person pointing to Jesus Christ. I've been in some, some old, old pulpits, big old grand pulpits that have carvings in them, and, and in more than one, I've seen the quotation of the verse in John 12, 21 that simply says, Sir, 
We want to see Jesus. I think that's a very lovely thing to have in a pulpit. Sir, we wanted to see Jesus. A beautiful ministry holds Jesus up again and again and again. It gives people the kind of picture of Jesus where they actually want to pray to him. It gives them the kind of confidence in Jesus where they leave thinking, as, as Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It, it helps them to leave leaning more on Jesus, trusting him more, freshly thankful that there is a Savior. It leaves them going away commenting not so much about the sermon and the preacher, but about Jesus and the gospel. That's a beautiful ministry. A church that has ministries like that is a beautiful church. But we have to bear in mind that even though within the church we might say that is absolutely beautiful, there are plenty of other people who will listen to that kind of ministry and not find it beautiful at all. Christians come to love that kind of ministry and say, that is beautiful. But people who are not Christians hear the gospel message. They hear the message of Jesus and what he's done. And they don't find that a beautiful message at all. How come? Well, think of it this way. Imagine that you're at a party. And it's one of those parties where, you know, it's quite a large crowd and you're mixing and mingling and deep, meeting different people and just kind of chatting away uh, to different people. And you, you find yourself talking to this guy and he's, he's quite interesting and you share your lives and a little bit. And uh, as you're talking, it turns out he's a plastic surgeon. And, um, you know, it's quite interesting. You haven't actually chatted with a plastic surgeon before. So you ask him a bit about his, his work and his job and what he does. And it's a nice conversation, and then after a while, he, he just looks at you. Like he, he just kind of pauses, he looks at you, and he says, you know, I could fix that problem you've got with your face. <laughs> now, he says, seriously, um, it'd be quite a lot of work. But I do a lot of jobs like that, and I'd actually be prepared to do that for you as a freebie. <laughs> now, if you have never thought of yourself having a face that needs a face job, then his very generous offer, his professional expertise, his kindness to you, is not a beautiful thing. <laughs> it is deeply offensive. And you know, that's what the gospel message is like for many people who are not yet followers of Jesus. We come along to them and say, your sins can be forgiven. <laughs> I don't actually think of myself as a sinner. Like, oh, I'm not perfect, but come on. We tell them they can be reconciled to God. They didn't know they were alienated from God. 
We tell them that Christ can do everything for them. They thought they were doing a pretty good job doing everything for themselves. The gospel is deeply offensive to non-Christians. So what do we do? (laughs) How do we take a message that we've come to see as absolutely beautiful and present it to people who don't necessarily think that it is beautiful? We can't actually remove the offense of the gospel message. But what we can do is try to remove every other offense. We have to try and love people and care for people and be genuine toward people and take such an interest in people that even though they find the message offensive, they're attracted to the people who think that it's a beautiful message. It's as if you show your face to these people and they see that the surgery worked. And they see that actually Jesus has made you a more beautiful person. And as we do that, it just might be that some of them say, I want that too. So friends, a beautiful church, a beautiful ministry is not only one where the message of Jesus is preached, but also where it is lived. That's the first big thing I wanted to see in this verse. A beautiful ministry is one that shows people just how good the good news of Jesus really is. There's one other thing uh, that I want to look at here. I'll be briefer with this. But there's a second aspect in this verse that we need to touch on. A beautiful ministry is also one that shows people just how great the power of God really is. A beautiful ministry shows people just how great the power of God really is. This good news of Jesus that the church preaches and proclaims and we believe is proclaimed in a world where there's an awful lot of bad news. Wouldn't you agree that the evening news is loaded with bad news? Uh, Sometimes Wendy and I have this kind of conversation um, before the news, if if we've got an evening where we're going to watch the news, we kind of decide whether we're feeling robust enough to watch SBS World News. Um, because SBS World News is kind of just a one-hour barrage of international problems and crises and bombings and division and, and political upheaval. And there are not too many sort of bright, happy, you know, dogs on surfboard stories in SBS News. You get that on the other channels. There's an awful lot of bad news in our world. But the bad news isn't just out there, is it? I think often there's an awful lot of bad news that we're sitting on ourselves. There might just be endless demands at work that are crushing you. Tensions at home. Friends who disappoint. People who have hurt us really badly. 
You don't get the marks that you'd hoped for. You don't get into the course you wanted to be in. You don't get the job that you were desperate for. We struggle to make ends, ends meet. We have health issues. We return to an old sin that we thought we'd beaten. And we just feel so guilty and gutted that we're back there again. We feel depressed, anxious, worn out. Sure, on uh, Facebook and Insta and Snapchat, it looks like everyone is having an absolutely amazing life. But we know that behind all those posts, loads of people are not having an amazing life. And you know, it's in this context that a beautiful ministry declares, as verse 7 says, your God reigns. How beautiful the feet of the person who comes along and proclaims good news, the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and proclaims to God's people, your God reigns. Your God is sovereign over all that stuff that's going on in the world. You don't reign. <laughs> you know that. You're not in control of it. You can't sort it out. I can't even work out my week most of the time, let alone anyone else's week or life. Your pastor doesn't reign. Hallelujah. Malcolm Turnbull doesn't reign. Donald Trump does not reign. God has established a king. He has established someone who reigns. He raised up Jesus Christ. And you remember what Jesus said after his resurrection, after he had conquered sin and death. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he said, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. Your God reigns. He reigns over every event that's recounted in the evening news. He reigns over all the problems and, and worries and burdens and disappointments and heartbreaks that we have in our personal lives. God is not uninvolved. God is not uninvolved in our lives and in our world. God is not disinterested. God is not detached and impersonal. Your God reigns. And Isaiah says that in the context of Israel. He's saying to Israel, your king might have been deposed 70 years ago. Babylon and Assyria might be the superpowers of the world. But don't you worry. Your God reigns. He is sovereign over it all. And Jesus Christ, who reigns in our world, is at work in ways that don't appear usually on the evening news. But he is at work saving people and changing lives and bringing restoration and bringing healing and reuniting people and building his church and growing his kingdom until one day every knee will bow 
and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. A beautiful ministry is one that proclaims that. A beautiful ministry is one that reminds people that God is on the throne and he knows what he's doing. That God is sovereign over all the stuff in our lives. Beautiful ministry reminds us that nothing happens outside of God's good purpose and plan. It reminds us that God is never stunned or shocked or worried by what happens in our world. It reminds us that, yep, there will be pain, there'll be sorrow, there'll be many tears in our lives. But your God reigns. And he has these things in his hand. And he loves you with an eternal love. And he's bringing about a new heaven and a new earth one day where there will be eternal joy and happiness. When I hear that, when I'm reminded of that, when I'm under a ministry that reminds me of that, it's a beautiful thing. When a preacher preaches that, that's a beautiful thing. When a church proclaims that and lives that, it's a beautiful church. And I think, let me just finish with this thought, I think we might therefore have to redefine what we're looking for in a church and a ministry and a sermon. Because very easily in our culture, we think a beautiful ministry is a big ministry. We think a beautiful ministry is a successful ministry, however we want to measure that. We think a beautiful ministry is one where there's lots of well-resourced, highly capable, competent, charismatic, upfront people. We think a beautiful ministry is an impressive ministry. But I think some of the most beautiful ministries can be thoroughly under-resourced, have very shaky little old people heading them up, can meet in ramshackle buildings. Some of those beautiful ministries are not world famous and never will be. But they're beautiful. Because they show people just how good the good news of Jesus really is. And they remind people just how great the power of God really is. And that always is a beautiful thing. Can I pray with you? Lord God, thank you for reminding us from Isaiah the prophet this morning what a beautiful ministry really is. Help us not to measure beauty in terms of the things that we're often drawn to, resources and size and, and um, fame and reputation, but help us to measure beauty in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that this church would be full of beautiful ministries, that this would indeed be a beautiful church, 
where the good news of Jesus is proclaimed clearly, where it's lived, and where people are constantly reminded that our God reigns. So Lord, work your beauty in this place. Work this beautiful message in our lives and help us to show the beauty of it to other people. We ask this for your glory through Jesus Christ. Amen.